Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Today's message is about two roads, the road of death and the road to life. The road of death being the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering, the way of the cross, and the road of life being the road called Emmaus, where after Jesus had risen from the dead, He met a couple of His disciples on that road, and they talked. So we're going to be talking about that today, and I want to start by talking about the road to death, the Via Dolorosa, where Jesus died for us. I want to illustrate that road this morning with a a powerful, powerful story called The God Who Hung on the Cross. In her book, The God Who Hung on the Cross, journalist Ellen Vaughn tells a true story of how the story of Jesus and His death came to a small village in Cambodia. In September of 1999, Pastor Toy Seng, not his real name, traveled to Kampong Tham province in northern Cambodia. Throughout that isolated area, most villagers followed Buddhism or Spiritism. Christianity was virtually unheard of. But much to Seng's surprise, when he arrived in one small rural village, the people warmly embraced him and his message about Jesus. When he asked the villagers about their openness To the gospel, an old woman shuffled forward, bowed, and grasped Seng's hands as she said this to him, we've been waiting for you for 20 years. And then she told him the story of the mysterious God who'd hung on the cross. In the 1970s, the Khmer Rouge, the brutal communist-led regime, took over Cambodia. It destroyed everything in its path and killed two million people. When the soldiers finally descended on this rural northern village in 1979, they immediately rounded up all the villagers and forced them to start digging their own graves. After the villagers had finished digging, they prepared themselves to die. Some screamed out to Buddha. Others screamed to demon spirits or to their ancestors. One of the women started to cry for help based on a childhood memory, a story her mother told her about a God who'd hung on a cross. The woman prayed to that unknown God on a cross. Surely, if this God had known suffering, He would have compassion on their plight. Suddenly, her solitary cry became one great wail as the entire village started praying to the God who'd suffered and hung on a cross. As they continued facing their own graves, the wailing slowly turned to a quiet crying. There was an eerie silence in the muggy jungle air. Slowly, as they dared to turn around and face their captors, they discovered that the soldiers were all gone. As the old woman finished telling this story, she told Pastor Sang that ever since that human day, from 20 years ago, the villagers had been waiting waiting for someone to come and share the rest of the story about the God who had hung on a cross. God in a bod. That's Jesus. 
God in the flesh, God in a human body, has already come and hung on a cross. Jesus walked the road of suffering and died on a cross to free us from the power of sin and death. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. Amen? Jesus died to take our punishment for sin and make us right with God. Jesus died to identify with human suffering. Jesus died for all these things and much, much more. Now, we're going to hear the rest of the story. For Jesus' death wasn't the end of the story. If Jesus' death on the cross is the end of the story, then we have no reason to be here and no reason to hope. For our hope is in the resurrection. Without the resurrection, the death of Jesus is just another martyrdom by some religious leader. But with the resurrection, we get an exclamation point. As Romans chapter 1 tells us, because of the resurrection, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God. So we see through the resurrection and Jesus' encounter with His followers that there is another road. The first road is the road to death. And thank God for the road to death. Thank God for the cross. For without the cross, there's no forgiveness of sins, right? Without the cross, we're not reconciled. But the cross is part of the ongoing story. And the rest of the story is that he rose bodily from the dead. We're going to hear how he changed all history and all time through his resurrection on the road to Emmaus. And I, I want to set this up because the road to Emmaus is the road of life. And it's, it's the first walk that we know of that Jesus takes with a couple of his disciples after he's risen from the dead. And the cool thing that I want you to notice is that Jesus often comes to our life in a way that we cannot recognize. He often conceals his identity, but he's with us all along even when we don't recognize it. And so here we go, the road of life, Emmaus, the risen Jesus disguised. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 34. It's a pretty long text of Scripture, but I'd like you to read with me on the screens. That very day, and that very day is the day He rose from the dead. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they were on a nice seven-mile walk. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, uh, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and our rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken? 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And while he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, remember it's evening, they've already walked seven miles, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I love this story. It's one of my favorites in the Bible. And I want you to notice as we walk through this text several points which reveal to us Jesus being close when we don't even recognize it. And the first point is simply the risen Jesus often joins us in disguise when we talk about him. When we talk of him, you know, they were walking along the way and they were talking about Jesus and his death and the reports they'd heard of his resurrection. And as they discussed him and as they talked about him, he came and joined them. And it's true for us as well that many times when we're talking about him, whether we're gathered in a church service or we're in a small group or we're hanging out with somebody at the coffee shop or you're sitting at home talking over scripture with people or your, your, you know, your spouse or your kids, you think, you know, we're just sitting here, we're opening the Bible and we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about God, but the reality is he is there with you even when you don't recognize it. He loves to come to the meeting of those who speak of him. He loves to be present when we talk about him, amen? Amen. And we don't even know who these two guys were. Cleopas was not one of the 11, and we never hear of him again in the Bible. And yet God is so kind and patient to meet a couple of doubting disciples on a walk of despair and then turn it into a walk of revelation. Think about it. How many times have we in our own lives been going along grappling with our doubts, grappling with our discouragements, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears and we can't even recognize him. The risen Jesus is present even when we talk about our doubts concerning him. And yet he comes to clear them up. He doesn't leave them hanging. He lets us talk. He lets us get it out, but he doesn't leave it there. The second thing is he's disguised. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. These men were either blinded by their despair or by divine intervention. The text seems to indicate that God himself, that Jesus, kept them from recognizing him. But have you ever noticed sometimes we, keep, we, we can't recognize him because of our own despair or discouragement? I can think about times in my own life when looking back and with 2020 hindsight, I can look back on circumstances and situations where I felt alone. I felt like God had left me, like he'd abandoned me, like he was nowhere to be seen. But as I looked back, I noticed his handiwork, his fingerprints, his presence everywhere, even in my pain. The problem was at the moment, I couldn't see him. I was blinded by my own despair or discouragement. But Jesus is kind of messing with them. 
And you see that. He's, he's kind of he's hiding himself. He's, he's wanting to hear what they have to say. He's wanting them to verbalize it. And that's the next thing, is he wants us to tell him our deepest heartbreaks, disappointments, and impossible hopes. In verses 17 through 24, we see that. And here's my challenge to you. Tell him. Tell him. Jesus asked them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? The uh, Bible exposition commentary says there's a touch of humor here when Jesus asks them, what things went on in Jerusalem? He had been at the heart of it all. He had been the focal point of it all, and yet he's asking them, oh, what, what happened in Jerusalem? And he's asking them to tell, what, tell him what's occurred. How patient the Lord is with us as He listens to us tell Him what He already knows. Tell Him what He already knows. I I know people, this is what they say about prayer. I don't need to pray. I don't feel good about prayer. Um, God already knows my needs, and if He cares about my needs, He'll meet them. And I'm like, you know, that's true. He knows your needs. But over and over in the Scripture, we're challenged to tell Him. We're challenged to articulate it. I've noticed over the years that my wife knows my heart. She started to get to where she knows my, my rhythm. She can look at my face and tell when I'm doing well or when I'm struggling. Sometimes she even knows what I'm struggling with. And eventually, we'll be going along in our life and I'll open up to her and I'll say, you know, I'm going through this right now. This is what's happening. And I'll share it with her. And she said, yeah, I, I, I kind of knew you were struggling with that. And at that moment, a connection happens. Her and I become more intimate. We become closer because I articulate to her the things going on in my heart, though she already knew them. And God already knows all your needs, but He wants you to tell Him. He wants relationship with you. He's not just a magic genie in the sky and we rub the bottle a few times and we get our wishes and our hopes. He desires to know you intimately and He wants you to bring articulation to what's going on in here. Because as long as you keep it locked up, you're closing yourself off from him. Tell him. And then there's heartbreak. The disciples shared their hopes that Jesus was the promised king and Messiah. And those hopes had been crushed. I mean, put yourself in the story. I dare you. Think about what it would have been like to walk with this one who healed the sick, raised the dead, told you know, the sun, excuse me, not the sun, told the, the winds and the waves to stop, walked on water, raised up dead people, caused loaves and fishes to multiply so thousands upon thousands could be fed. This one who did all those things, who seemed impervious to any criticism, impervious to any kind of suffering, any, any attacks. There's several times where it says, and they sought to take hold of him or harm him or make him king. And the scripture says, he walked through the midst of them and they couldn't touch him. Now all of a sudden he's at their power and they've killed him and he was going to be the king and they were going to be his cabinet and our hopes were that we'd rule and reign with him and he would be the one and now he's dead. And then they're hearing some kind of nonsense that maybe he's alive. All of their dreams, everything they had attached their future to went down with him. And then impossible hopes, they, they articulate their impossible hopes that maybe he is risen, we've heard he's risen, we haven't seen him yet, ah, let's go for a walk to Emmaus. I mean, what were they doing going to Emmaus? Jerusalem was where it was happening, why were they going to Emmaus? We don't even know. But we do know 
that Jesus met them. A couple of nobodies. Think about it. We don't know who these guys are. They're never talked about again. This isn't the 11, and yet Jesus loved them and cared for them so much that he chose them, and now they are in the Scripture, enshrined within Scripture, as those who he met on the way as they talked. And then thirdly, the risen Jesus reveals himself to us in the Scriptures and everyday things of life as we invite him in. Now listen carefully to this. He reveals himself in Scripture. He interprets and reveals himself to us when we look in the pages of the Word of God. Verse 27 says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 32 says, And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? I love what the Bible exposition commentary says again. He says, perhaps Jesus started in Genesis 3.15. The first promise of the Redeemer, the one who will crush the head of the serpent. And, And maybe Jesus lingered in Genesis 22 as he told the story of Abraham offering up his only son, Isaac. And just as Isaac is about to be slayed... God sends an angel to provide a ram in his place, and the ram is sacrificed as a picture to us of one who will come later and be a substitute. Maybe he tells the story of the Passover, when the children of Israel gathered in their homes and ate lamb and took the blood of that lamb and put it over their doorposts as the death angel passed over them and missed them, and they all were safe from death. Maybe he shared with them about the Levitical sacrifices, all the many sheep and all the bulls that would be sacrificed to atone for human sin because we do it all the time. Can somebody say amen to that? Maybe he told them about the tabernacle ceremonies or the day of atonement or the serpent in the wilderness that was lifted up on a pole and as they looked upon the serpent, they were healed. Over and over again in the Old Testament, the suffering servant in Isaiah 53, the prophetic passages of Psalms 22 and 69, here's the point, throughout the Bible, Jesus is the centerpiece, the focal point, and the ultimate message of Scripture. He isn't just this figure who shows up in Matthew in the New Testament. And that's where many of us miss it. We think, you know, we're going along reading the Bible and we we see this God we can't quite deal with and then we come to the New Testament and here's Jesus and we think, man, I'm glad Jesus showed up. But the reality is, is Jesus was showing up from Genesis all the way to Malachi. Throughout all 39 books of the Old Testament, over and over again in type, shadow, and symbol, revealing himself as the one who is yet to come and yet the one who continues to get close to people. He appears over and over again. He comes on the day that Abraham is bargaining with him about preserving Sodom and Gomorrah. He comes right to Abraham in human form, and he sits with him in his tent, and they talk together, and he feeds him a meal. And the same Jesus is still feeding us meals today and meeting with us today. He taught concerning those things in the Scripture concerning himself. But you know, what I see here is that the scriptures, even for many of us in this room, are closed to us. Some of us in here, we, we really struggle with reading the Bible or listening to it. And we, we, we kind of, you know, we, we, we stay away from the Bible. The Bible's kind of a, a book of mysteries to us. We don't quite get it. But I want to encourage you. Jesus wants to meet you in the pages of the book. 
and he wants to open it up to you. And he wants to shed light on it, and he wants to meet you there because it's the Scripture that gives us the clearest picture of him. That's where we see who he really is. Some of us in this room, we, we, we say, you know, I want to know God, I want to know Jesus, but we don't spend any time in the book. And so the concept of God that we have is just what we're building in our own mind, our own imaginations. And that's not the God of Scripture. That is a God of our own imagination. Some would call it an idol. But the God that we really want to know, the God that came to us in the person of Jesus, is contained in the pages of the book. And he wants to come alongside our life and walk with us and open the scripture to us and make it real. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Invitation. The risen Jesus provokes us to invite him into our lives. It says they drew near to the village to which they were going and he acted. I love this. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. Jesus acted as if he was going farther to provoke desire and a response from these disciples. He wanted them to ask him to stay. Jesus works with our human will and does not force himself upon us. He knew that they were being overwhelmed with the truth of Scripture and His presence, but they hadn't quite figured out who He was, but He still awaited their invitation. And this is what He does with all of us. See, the Scripture makes it clear. He's first actor, right? A lot of us, we we say things like, I found Jesus, and I'm glad you did, but the truth is He found you, right? You're the lost sheep, He's not, and He's the shepherd out to find you. But here's what happens in our life. We're running from God, right, through our sin. We're just running from Him, and He's chasing us. And one day we finally go, yes, Lord, and we turn around and whack, we hit Him face to face. And He was there all along pursuing us in His love, but He still calls upon us to invite Him. You know, He wants you to invite Him. Think of the beauty of that. He's messing with Him. I, I, I got to go on from here. Um, he's waiting he knows they're burning. He knows they're like, I don't, there's something about this guy. I can't put my finger on it. Hey, come and stay with us. Okay, right? Oh, well, let's eat a meal together, which takes me to the bread. The risen Jesus reveals himself to us in the everyday things of life. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Verse 35, then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. You realize Jesus would have broken bread with them hundreds of times. They had lived and traveled together for three and a half years. Jesus had blessed the loaves and the fish the day he fed over 5,000 and another time when he fed 4,000. He had broke and blessed the bread when he was at the Last Supper. These guys probably weren't there, but he broke the bread and gave it to him at the Last Supper. He would have had a way of pronouncing the blessing and breaking the bread that was unique to him. They would have recognized his tone, his style, and the way he spoke the blessing. Bread in that culture was eaten at almost every meal. Every class and group within that society ate bread. Jesus took what was common and what was average, and he made it uncommon and miraculous. When he blessed the bread and broke it, they recognized him. Their eyes were open. They finally saw. 
And, and what I want to share with you out of that is this simple application. Some of you are waiting, looking for, and requiring the miraculous from God. You want the big stuff. And maybe I'll believe if he really does something dramatic. And the problem with that kind of thinking is that he often reveals himself in the everydayness of life. He comes to you when you're changing that poopy diaper, when you're eating that meal, when you're at the grocery store, when you're driving in your car, when you're talking with that person that, you know, you don't really maybe necessarily think much of. Do we understand that while we put conditions on God's appearing to us and making Himself known, while we say to Him, you know, you have to do something dramatic, it's got to look like this, taste like this, feel like this, God says, hey, I'm right here. Let's eat some bread together. I want to make myself known to you in the common stuff. And often what happens is we don't see him until it's too late. And that's what's beautiful about this story. He just breaks bread. He blesses it and breaks it and gives it to him. And they go, it's him. And I want you to know he wants to reveal himself to you in the same way. And he's here. See, this is what... This is what I want you to see. He's here right now. That's not just some kind of concept. Yeah, God's everywhere. You know, the, the omnipresence of God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the personal, near, manifest presence of a God who knows you by name, knows where you live, and cares about every thought you have. And He calls all of us in this room. Quit running. I died for you. Quit running. I'm walking with you. I'm on the road with you. You think you're going down this road and you're just talking to somebody and you don't realize you're talking with him. And he's here right now to make himself real to you and manifest himself. And that takes me to the main point in all of this, open eyes and recognition. The common theme that runs throughout this entire story is that the reason, excuse me, the risen Jesus is often unrecognized by us when he's very near The death of Jesus on a Roman cross is historic fact. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is historic fact. We even have extra-biblical sources that confirm it. Jesus was and is the most influential human being to ever live on earth. He's the hinge of history and the turning point of time. He's the one that changed and upset the entire apple cart, I guess you could say. He came and turned it all around. Do you understand that our very institutions, our universities, our hospitals, and so many other institutions are built on the truth of Jesus Christ? Many of you probably don't know that. Universities came out of those who were followers of Jesus, as did hospitals. People that understood that we give help to those in need, the broken, the needy, that we educate. They understood that came from the fact that God was to be loved with the heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love Him with our entire being. Do we, do we even understand we sit right here in this time, in this place, eating and drinking of all the benefits of this man from Nazareth? He's alive. He's a living Savior. Amen. And He's ready to reveal Himself to you through the pages of the Bible and in your everyday life. Even today as we talk about Him here in this place, He's among us and He's ready to rescue us from the power of sin and death. He's ready to move into your life and make you the person you've always desired to ultimately be. I want to tell you, He wants to meet you today. 
He wants to meet you right here in this room. If you don't know Him, He wants you to know Him. I've walked with Jesus now for almost 34 years. And all I can say is He is good and He is faithful. He's the greatest love I've ever known, the greatest friend I've ever had. He's my all in all and He wants to be your all in all. 